You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 7, members discuss special education with Venus Reeve. Welcome back to OEA Grow Season 7. I'm your host, Venus Reed, and this season we are exploring topics in special education. Today, we are discussing specialists and consultants that serve students in special education, and we have three fantastic specialists and consultants with us today. We have occupational therapist Brittany Herson, adaptive PE specialist Michelle Dunn, and autism consultant Nels Pasternak. Thank you all for being here today, and let's jump right in. So, First, I'd love to know a little bit about each of you and your role in uh, serving students with disabilities. And Brittany, would you be willing to go first? Sure, Venus. Um, So everyone, my name is Brittany Herson and I am an occupational therapist. This is my third year working in education. And prior to working for 4J, I've spent seven years practicing OT in various settings, including outpatient with a focus on orthopedic injuries and lymphedema, acute care, and mental health. When I was working in mental health, uh, I found myself uh, love. I loved working with the institutionalized youth, and that's what drove me to make that shift in my career from more of a medical model to education. And so, yeah, so my primary role as an OT is helping students with disabilities or challenges in the areas such as fine motor skills, sensory processing, attention, and social interaction. And the ultimate goal is to enhance a student's ability to participate in school activities and reach their academic and developmental potential. Oh, excellent. Thank you, Brittany. Michelle. Yeah, thanks, Venus. this, I'm Michelle Dunn. Um, I'm an adaptive PE specialist for Eugene School District. Um, I've had seven years in education with a mix of middle school uh, physical education uh, educator as well as being a special education teacher as well. Um, my journey and story kind of started back in where I'm originally from in Bismarck, North Dakota, where I was got my undergrad degree for physical education and health. Um, but there, after graduating, I also became a um, got my SPED endorsement and became a SPED teacher. I think um, just serving students with disability is something that I've always gravitated towards when uh, physical education positions weren't open in North Dakota for me at the time for opportunity. Uh, special education was the door that opened and I jumped right in. And I think now being uh, two years into my adaptive PE position with um all my different experiences in education has really just uh, honed in uh, to blend both PE and special education uh, to be adaptive uh, specialists for Eugene School District and just working with individuals with disabilities to um, meet their general PE needs, but also just uh, their grade level standards for PE in the state of Oregon and just meet them where they're at and try to uh, give them the Uh, PE content and access that they uh, deserve, as well as just trying to progress their abilities to um, just keep thriving 
So that's a little bit about me, but more to share later. Fantastic. Thank you. And Nels, our autism consultant, will you tell us all about yourself and your role? Sure. Well, you know, this is my first year being an autism consultant, so I'm pretty green in this role. Previously, I was a special ed teacher for the last 16 years, um, taught life skills in the high school setting for 15 and then online K through five life skills. Um, recently finished teaching for uh, Pacific University on assessment and evaluation instead for graduate students. And I don't know, I have my admin license and I'm endorsed to teach ELA and social studies instead. And, um, you know, I've done some other work. I was an EA at, at large so I, for three years and I went to like probably 15 different schools and got to see lots of different environments at all age levels. So how does a student qualify to receive your services or your consultation? And I know that's not the same thing. So we'll, we'll tease those two things apart here in a minute. But, and Nels, I'm going to start with you if we can. How does a student qualify to receive autism consult- consultation from you? Well, I mean, they can have a diagnosis of autism, but they don't have to necessarily. It's an IEP team decision. And I've, I've been told this year that there are some kids who, you know, they might have some characteristics, but they don't have the full-on label, but the team still decided that the autism consultant would provide some benefit to the students. So it's really just a team decision um, that, you know, the types of services that we provide as consultants are needed and, and that they would be beneficial for the student. And then it gets put on their IEP. They have to have Fantastic. an IEP. Actually, I think you can also get it, I think, if you have a 504, but that's rare, more rare. Okay. How about you, Michelle? Yeah, so adaptive PE is kind of unique. A lot of people don't uh, understand it. Uh, a lot of times, I think I I was that type of sped teacher at one point. Um, but I think um, I, I forgot to mention, like I I'm actually taking my master's for adaptive PE right now as well, and finishing up this June. Um, at Congratulations! A, thank you at University of South Carolina online. So I didn't have to leave my passionate field to go for it. Um, so that was lovely. But I think that's why I wanted to dive deeper uh, in the content of what I am doing. And so when students, uh, when we look at students, if they need adaptive PE services, we look at um, getting observations from their general PE teachers, if they're if the student's able to participate or if they have any motor developmental delays on certain um, grade level standards for physical education. And so just taking a lot of in, intake and observations, but then it is a team decision uh, ultimately. Um, but it really is uh, looking at the student and their individual needs and their ability levels and see where they're at with like norm reference and criteria references of motor skills. Um, and always just keeping in mind that they're least restrictive environment. So typically um, what I go off of, of what Oregon State goes off of, which is the Society of Health and Physical Educators organization called SHAPE. Um, their criteria for adaptive PE is if a student is 1.5 standard deviations uh, away from or uh, with deficits, then they potentially could qualify for adaptive PE services. And then that would look like APE consultation on their IEP, or it could even look at like direct services of how I can help uh, with a general PE teacher supporting that student in that student's general PE class, or just consultation, or even one-on-one settings or small group settings for adaptive PE services. So there's a 
long list of continuum of uh, PE services that I could provide as an AP person for students to meet their needs. Very cool. And Brittany, as the occupational therapist, kind of tell us a little bit about your role in this. Okay, so for a student to qualify for OT, um, I'll say that probably like rough, I'd say 95% of the students who are referred for OT services are on a 504 or an IEP. Mm. And um, once I receive a referral, usually I'll follow that up with a screen just to determine if the student needs further testing. And if an evaluation is warranted, then a formal evaluation is completed. I use standardized assessments, usually for visual motor or sensory deficits. Then I follow up with the team and the parent to discuss the results of that evaluation and, you know, to determine if direct OT services are needed or if the student needs can be met through OT consultation. Um, However, I do occasionally receive referrals for students who are not on a 504 or IEP. And um, even though I cannot continuously see these students directly, if the parents are willing to consent, I will uh, help their teacher or the staff that support that student as an RTI intervention uh, for things such as writing and tech. So as you're describing that, it, it leads us to the next question so naturally, which is you mentioned direct services and you mentioned consultation. So as an occupational therapist, what does that look like? And basically, what is the difference for you? And I'm going to ask each of you this. What is the difference between direct services and consultation? Um, well, I can start. Uh, so for direct service, I see students directly by pulling them from class for one-on-one -on -one or small group sessions, or I will push into the classroom to provide support. Consultation, however, you know, uh, the OT is primarily used as a resource for the student's team to collaborate with on their various needs. Although students may be seen by OT periodically for the purpose of assessment or monitoring to determine appropriate instruction and or supports to address the student's needs. Got it. So Nels, for you, do you have a similar kind of direct services and or consultation model or does that look different as an autism consultant? Well, in our district, it's autism consultant and we list all the minutes as consult minutes. And that's the bulk of our work is doing consult. I do sometimes like directly interact with kids or, you know, do observations in school and help them out because I feel like you got to get to know kids and like actually see sometimes what works with them before you give consult on what to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like helping other educators and families and the student themselves. But yeah, we're listed specifically as um, consult in our district. Not to Excellent. say that you don't sometimes work direct, sometimes you do, but there's <laughs> mostly consultation. And Michelle, how about for you? I mean, I know you listed a, a bit of a continuum there, but what does it look like for you? Yeah, for me, I mean, with our our district, Eugene School District 4J, um, since I am the only adaptive PE specialist, it is more consultation right now. But um, as Nels was kind of saying too, uh, you do have to get get to know the students and it can be kind of direct sometimes with those consultation minutes um, before you can give strategies to a support 
uh, personnel, um, like a paraprofessional and stuff like that. But a lot of times, too, um, with physical education being a core academic, uh, which kind of gets forgotten by sometimes with the Individuals with Education Act. Uh, it is listed in there. So um, it, it can be a direct service. So um, it can be a one-on-one -on -one setting or a push-in or a parallel instruction to what the general PE teacher might be instructing and just uh, doing a parallel of that instruction with the student and their aid, um, and then bringing them back into the whole group setting so they can pr participate in the skills as well and, and make progression. So um, it can kind of go back and forth sometimes, but direct service is mainly looking at the individual and their ability if they do need more um, significant individualized instruction, uh, then it would be more direct service provided. So as you're talking, Michelle, you were mentioning uh, working with paraeducators, working with um, PE teachers. What are some of the other specialists or consultants that you work with in your role? If anybody knows me, like Brittany and Nels, um, with even my background of being a SPED teacher, it is definitely a, a multidisciplinary approach that I take uh, with working with um it takes a whole team to work for a student and, and meet their needs and meet them where they're at. So uh, I really do uh, enjoy collaborating with SLPs at schools, SPED teachers, um, my motor team, with which Brittany's on for OTs and PTs, as well as our assistant technology, our people. And um, yeah, and then working with Nels, the autism consultant group, uh, just recently a little bit more. And I think just carving out that collaboration time with um, a specialist so we can do what's right for the student as well as the family and support their educational needs. We work with, you know, everybody. We work with um, EAs, gen ed teachers, special ed teachers, you know, OTs, SLPs. Um, like I said, like Michelle said, I'd like to start working with her more, which we've got that plan in the works. I haven't worked a lot with adaptive PE specialists, but that's something I'm excited to learn more about and do. And really just kind of putting it out there that we're there and that we're someone who can come and help, like, you know, and be collaborative problem solvers, working with students, teachers, IEP teams. So, you know, it's kind of like being a life skills teacher. You work with all the specialists to an extent, you know, there's a lot of overlap. Wondering some of the challenges that you face in that collaborate in that collaboration, excuse me. Well, just being um, managing the calendar is a huge challenge. You know, a lot of there's a lot of late meetings. I'm at like ten. I have students at ten different schools. Like I'm doing eight middle schools in the Eugene Online Academy, wow. and I have a kid at Fox Hollow too, who I like visit sometimes and. So just trying to keep it all straight and like you use Google Calendar like every day and like even just little <laughs> things like tracking your mileage and oh, if I forgot my mileage one day, then I don't remember where it would necessarily, you know, what it was like a week later. So it's just a lot of um, attention to detail and, you know, making sure that you're meeting all the kids. I, I prioritize like fulfilling all the minutes, meeting all my students before their IEPs and like making as many of those IEPs as possible and like really just going to help out sometimes it's hard also to figure out like when you have three or four different schools that have unique situations that they want you to come and check out like prioritizing can be really hard like where where is the greatest need like what can wait till tomorrow because you can't do it you can't it's like that movie everything everywhere all at once i think i'm saying it wrong but like uh you can't be everywhere and doing everything all at once yeah. so 
good movie, Nels. <laughs> sure feels like that's the need sometimes, though, I bet. How about for you, Brittany? All right. Well, uh, I work... Uh, it takes a village to support a student and maximize their potential. So I work with everybody, gen ed, sped teachers, EAs. Um, when it comes to sensory, I often collaborate with the autism specialist and behavior specialist. There's a lot of overlap there, uh, just trying to determine. And also, especially if it's a new student and I'm trying to find out, you know, uh, what their routines are, how they transition if they have a sensory diet, things like that. Um, speech, speech is someone I closely consult with, especially in my life skills classrooms and uh, creating and training staff on feeding protocols. Oh, Big time. I hadn't even thought mm -hmm. of that. Oh my yeah. And sometimes I'll often check if I have a nonverbal student who has a sensory diet, I will often collaborate with speech on their communication skills and where they're at and, you know, what, how they can communicate with staff, what they need, mm. you know? Yeah. And also occasionally I'll work with speech. If I uh, am assisting a student with tech and they're using speech to text, if they have articulation issues, uh, Assistive technology. I work with Jordan and Kelly all the time because uh, tech is a huge part of my job. And they are so, so knowledgeable and such a great resource, especially for some of my more complex students. And then, of course, PT and adaptive PE for any of my tricky students who have motor challenges and, you know, trying to create motor programs and you know, a, provide, you know, equipment for classrooms and, you know, safety with transfers and ADLs for, with PT. It, we always work together on complex issues like that. Um, and for challenges for my role, there's quite a bit. So I would say <laughs> the most challenging is having such a large caseload and having so many sites. I uh, and this is across our whole team. We a lot of us have, you know, over a hundred kids on our caseload, and support wow. somewhere support somewhere between seven and ten schools. And currently, Oregon does not have guidelines regarding school based OT workloads and caseloads. Oh, but, wow. but a little off topic here. There is a bill. Uh, to Ooh. have, yeah, on workload caps. And that is currently going through. I think I gave you the resource for that. And then uh, just having clear qualifying and exit criteria. They sort of leave it up to our professional judgment. And so I think having a little bit more guidance on that would be helpful, especially when you're trying to determine exiting a student and, you know, not having clear guidance on how to present that information and if it's appropriate. Um, I will say the staffing shortage in buildings for SPED staff um, has been a huge challenge just with um, trying to, it, it tends to increase the workload of the OT and decreases carryover and follow through, especially with the inclusion model that's 
uh, you know, uh, taking place this year. I, a lot of students don't have the support they need in the gen ed classrooms. So uh, yeah. it's, it's been quite a challenge for OTs to try to fill that gap this year. SPED staff turnover, there's just been such a burnout with SPED staff, and uh, I'm constantly training and retraining, especially on feeding protocols. That's been quite a challenge in my life skills classrooms this year. And uh, also just district training new SPED staff. Uh, Just OTs have to do a lot of training, uh, especially for new staff who have never worked, you know, with a student with special needs. And so, hence the turnover that can sometimes happen. Uh, and then just general, our general budget, uh, we support so many schools and our team only has so much money for equipment and tools to give to students and have to prioritize or get creative with our supplies. So luckily we were able to get a huge grant from ODE this year, which uh, mm-hmm. helped cover some of our large equipment costs, but it's still you know, an ongoing challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. I think for people to understand too, we hear about staffing shortages and it's hard to find people. And, but this is what it means for students and for the people who support students. When we have staff turnover rates that are so high, when the profession, especially special education is losing really great, highly trained, highly qualified folks um, for various reasons. And the lack of staff causes more stress, which causes us staff who are still there to go, oh my gracious, I'm exhausted. How long can I do this? And so I'm really glad that you kind of gave some concrete examples of how this impacts your work and the students and the professionals you work with. Um, Michelle, I don't think you've gotten to tackle this question yet. What are some of the challenges that you face and, and, and your role and what do you do about them? Yeah. You know, I, I look at it in two, two folds, I guess, uh, personally, professionally, like in my role of, um, coming on the first year when he came back into brick and mortar. Um, I think that was a really struggle and I attest to what Brittany was saying. It's still a huge struggle for sped staff and turnover and burnout. Um, but I think for me, that's, um, that year was challenging enough because uh, the year in COVID for comprehensive distance learning, we didn't have APE um, services for our students. And so coming back into brick and mortar, trying to figure out what students are eligible for an APE service was a really big challenge. Um, but I also had to tackle working at um another school site. So being half time as an AP specialist for our district and working at a, um, a specialized school too. So that was a challenge within it's a challenge. Um, and then this year, I think just being uh, more advocating for my, my pedagogy and content subdiscipline of APE and just uh, showing my district APE is important for students needs. Um, as well as to support general PE teachers, but our motor team, um, so that we can collaborate together to to see uh, some students excel. Um, but I think it definitely goes uh, with what Brittany was saying with caseload numbers. Like I'm not at at their level yet, but I could understand why previous years. Um, uh, APE was only consultation because I'm only one person and can't uh, get to all the schools and cover um, as 
many OTs that we have um, to do that direct service for students. And it's kind of a shame because then students kind of miss out on some uh, critical elements of physical education needs. But um, also I think, so that's just a challenge in itself, but it's um, advocating for adaptive PE in school districts that there needs to be more than just one and not just consultation for students because of their ability levels and um, disability too. I mean, um, a student with orthopedic impairment might need more than a typical person who can walk. Um, and so providing those supports for an individual like that in their general PE, but then also opening their minds to that there could be wheelchair basketball or they could go to the Paralympics someday and just helping them see their potential, right? So um, that's a challenge in itself because a lot of uh, leadership um, don't realize what adaptive PE specialists do or they feel that, um, sorry, Brittany, uh, an OT or PT could take could take the related service of what I do. And that's where physical education, we need to keep educating people. It's a direct service. So I could stand alone. Um, and I, it's almost like I express sometimes I, I'm like a special ed teacher just for the field of physical education in a way. There's definitely yeah. motor goals that we could be focusing on with students and I could stand alone with the related service of OTs or PTs. But I definitely understand the politics and funding is not always there for to support a student like that. So um, a lot of our smaller districts, they, they go out with um, without a APE because the guidelines haven't been updated in our state of Oregon since 1981, I believe. So oh, wow. again, with OTs talking about their caseload, it's guidelines and just references like that, that need to uh, make reforms and rebuild to support our students. Wow. 40, 40 some years of, of the same thing. There's a lot has changed in 40 years. Um, Nels, now that we've we've talked a little bit about things that are a challenge for each of you in your roles and things that you are working to change, not just in your roles, but in your profession and, and for all students through advocacy, what are some of the success stories that you've had? What are some things that I haven't asked you about yet that you didn't get to share um, as we wrap up the interview here? What are some, some last tidbits you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, it's good that, you know, you feel like you do. I feel like I've been able to make positive impacts for, you know, students at all the schools that I work at. We've done like some different interventions, like whether it's teaching kids about health and hygiene or teaching them how to wash clothes at the school because they're not able to do that at home. Um, that was really successful. And now that kid is much cleaner and understands better about germs. We had a kid who was kind of doing some inappropriate self-touching, you know, and being able to do like a social story around that and explain the social rules of, you know, while you're by yourself behavior versus in public behavior and to actually come back and be like, it stopped. Like he's not doing that anymore. And everyone's like really happy, like woohoo, you know, and doing training for um, classified pathways was a big, you know, something that I really enjoyed getting to train uh, large groups of classified staff at three different um, presentations. You helped with one of them. So that was, yeah, that was awesome. super fun. And then, uh, like, I work with this, like, just there's success stories at really every building. Like, I worked with a kid who was completely shut down in his history class and being able to, like, teach him some tools of how to, like, look things up and get some accommodations, like, 
that made sense for him to be able to use and, you know, doing a survey, what are the things, what classes do you like the best? What classes do you like the least? And trying to get to why, well, what, what's consistent in the classes that you do enjoy? What's, what's missing in the classes that you don't and trying to collect some of that data, like empathy interview, almost data for kids to figure out, help them figure out like self-advocacy and what helps them to be successful and then sharing that with the teachers and the teams that work with them. And just, sometimes it's just good to have another set of eyes or um, a different voice to come in and work with kids. So I've had a lot of, um, I've been actually really encouraged by that. Some, sometimes when you're spread out thin, it's hard to remember that you do make an impact with the kids that you work with. And just kind of, mm -hmm. so you have to kind of reflect on that. I think it's a really good closing question to reflect on what has gone well, because you know, oftentimes, for whatever reason, sometimes special ed can be overly pessimistic. And I really try to, to you know, maintaining that optimism in life is a beautiful struggle. And, you know, we all we all got to work at that. I love so I'll that. Just leave a beautiful it at that. struggle. That's Thank so you. Nels. Thank you, Nels. Um, we'll go in reverse order from when we met before. So, Michelle, success stories, things that you'd like to share that you didn't get to share yet? Yeah, I got a few. I think just um, well, one is um, I was able to apply for a grant because, again, with Brittany uh, talking about like funding is not always there. We're in public education. Right. And so I think just taking the initiative this year and, and knowing like um, knowing that fact that it is public education, the funding is not always going to be there. I, I did apply for a Eugene Education Foundation grant to get some adaptive PE equipment. Um, and hopefully we'll, um, we got that grant of $18,000. So that was a huge success, I feel like, just to start out the year. <laughs> Thanks. And, uh, you know, just seeing what we're getting with that and, and how uh, students are using it to implement. Uh, for example, it's called an overcomer. It's a machine where you can put um, or a piece of equipment where you can put uh, a striking implement, um, like a bat or a badminton or a hockey stick. And when you have an individual who has less than 20 degree rotation in their core and they can pull this lever and it does the 60 degree rotation for you and does that implement of a strike that works on grade level outcome of, of striking and of a ball or an object, you know, just seeing the smiles on the students' faces when they see that they have done that is been super rewarding this year and a success. And so, um, and just getting that out to general PE teachers and then just training to hopefully we'll get more training uh, the next school year because, um, like Brittany said earlier, this whole uh, universal design for learning is great, but the inclusion for all and learning for all, um, the implementation of how we went about it from school to school to school. Well, I can't be at every single school and how they do it. Um, so we do need a systematized, um, just general guidelines for everybody to follow for things to be more efficient. Um, but that goes back to challenge and, and hopefully collaborative problem solving as we move forward. Um, other successes, um, I had an individual at middle school level, I got to um, work with them, cons consultation directs 
direct service a little bit um, with consultation minutes. And this individual um, has some visual uh, impairments, so um, fully 100% blind. And it was amazing to get that individual in the gym finally and have a tethered rope with two knots on both ends and putting it in between your forefingers to hold onto it on one side and the individual would hold onto it on the other side. And we'd work on the cadence of the swing and going around the perimeter of the basketball court. So the student would feel what it would feel like going around the the boundary lines of a basketball court, or even potentially um, uh, participate in track someday and just sparking conversations with that student. It was just amazing because the student was like, yeah, I could do this. I could go out for track someday. And the student's 100% blind. But it's giving them that access of, hey, working on your cadence of your swing, working on your um, your strides, um, and then stopping and going and working on that and seeing that progression to play a sport. Because you can. Anybody can. We just need to provide those supports for our students. That's so those cool. are, yeah. So, uh, Michelle, but thank you. I'm sorry, Michelle. I got. <laughs> I so cool, Michelle. I'm sorry. It's, it's been a long day, Venus. Um, but yeah, those mm. have been some of my successes. And just one more, we were able to get a student who's been in a wheelchair ever since they came back from uh, COVID, and we do bike safety for um kindergarten and first graders in our district. So getting that student on a trike where they don't do all the pedaling themselves, but it's a lot easier. And it's just been a world of a difference for that student's confidence, self-worth of being with uh, his uh, general peers of his class and participating in that activity. And that takes a motor team uh, support and collaboration to make it happen. That's really exciting. That sense of self-worth you you mentioned there. I mean, that's what we're all trying to give our students, um, but to see it in such a tangible way and and to see all of those efforts. Um, So Brittany this time, not Michelle, Brittany. Sorry about that, Michelle. Okay. Oh, success stories. I will say at the end of last spring, I did get a grant for a swing, finally, $5,000 swing. And I didn't get to see it used because it didn't arrive until the last week of school. So being able to see all of the students, it's the most utilized piece of equipment in the sensory room. And very cool. just seeing kids use it this year, I'm like, yeah, I got that. I got that swing. Uh, and <laughs> let's see. Uh, I worked with assistive tech uh, to set up all of the sixth grade computers at my middle school so that all students, not just those with OT and AT, you know, could use the built in iOS features on the Mac. Uh, so, speech to text and read aloud and uh, word prediction, just to decrease the stigma and of using tech and, uh, you know, just part of the UDL approach. And and of course, setting up all the sensory spaces in my elementary schools and seeing all students, not just those with OT, using those spaces uh, for self-regulation. 
And uh, generally, I've, I've put a heavy focus on assistive tech this year. And uh, so just seeing some of my students who have always been, you know, hate, they love reading, love writing, and just, you know, once they realize they can access the gen ed curriculum, then they're writers. And it's amazing. It's amazing seeing that realization and joy when, you know, they're writing a paragraph, paragraphs like their peers, but just using their voice and then editing it, having it read back to them, like they're using it. And uh, I guess that kind of goes into just, you know, witnessing the aha moment. You know, when students are finally using the tools you teach them, you know, whether it's writing or for sensory and, you know, they're, they're doing it. <laughs> you're like, you're doing it. And uh, so just seeing those little successes and, you know, make me feel like I'm making a difference because it kind of just uh, sometimes things can be a little pessimistic because you don't feel like you're doing, you never feel like you're doing enough. And so just seeing those little successes is what makes this job amazing. It's exciting as, as I'm watching both of you talk to see your faces light up with this joy and this glee. Like you have slogged through the mire all year and then wait, there is this really cool thing I got to do for this kid and it came through and, and I, there's this really cool thing I got to set up for the school. And it's so exciting. And having worked with students who benefit from both of your services, I want to say thank you for all three of your services. I want to say thank you because we also um, I'm not the consultant who gave me that information. I'm not the specialist who did that, but I get to see the kid now cruise into class and go, yeah, I'm going to use that speech to text function because it's easy. Whereas in the fall, he was fighting tooth and nail or watch that kid go into PE when before that was really nothing they felt comfortable doing because they didn't have what they needed. And so I want to thank all three of you for being here, but also thank you for the work that you do to make every day as successful as possible for the students who are most impacted with disabilities, with medical needs, with challenges that a lot of folks don't ever have to face. So thank you for making school a successful place for our kids, all our students. So Brittany, Herson, Michelle Dunn, and Nels Pasternak, thank you so, so much for being here today and for all the work that you do for our babies. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.